We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 51 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and the Mets are still in first place. Some big injuries, some big rumors, some big some big time losses, and some big time comeback wins. There's a little bit of everything in the Mets world, and I feel like that's how it always is. So the draft is in the rear view mirror, of course, having Joe on the show. You'll always get updates on how these guys are doing in the Mets system. But now we're going to kind of reset today and get back to the big league club. And of course, as we approach the trade deadline at the end of this month, this show this week is going to really heavily focus on different trade scenarios. And thanks to you guys, our listeners, guys and gals, we have those trade scenarios. We are taking them directly from you on Twitter, and we're not going to overlap, so we're not going to answer nine different Chris Bryant scenarios. We're going to really go through each unique scenario for different players from different teams. But, Joe, let's get you in here. You got the draft behind you. How are you feeling? Uh, how is it to just kind of reset and look now at the big league club and the, the chase for the division? Now I just have to be worried about all the prospects are going to trade away potentially in the next week and a half. Yeah. So that that's where that's where my mindset has uh, transitioned to. So it's from all right, I'm covering the draft. That's in the rear view. Um, I'll obviously continue to follow the signings, and I have a pinned tweet on at PSL the Flushing uh, where I'm tracking like a Google sheet uh, with basically all the picks, how much they signed for their status for like their draft pool, all that good stuff. Um, so happy to move on from that. But yeah, trade deadline is now just, all right, well, what prospects am I going to lose over the next week and a half? Because it's quite clear that the Mets are going to be buyers. It's just a matter of to what extent. I mean, are they going all, you know, pushing all the chips into the table and making a big splash that'll cost a lot of top prospects? Or are they going to make, you know, improvements for rental type players that, you know, don't cost anyone near the top of your system. It'll be a, a very interesting 10 days here. Yeah, it really will. And of course, it is going to change your world. While the fans will focus on what's going on with the big league club and the acquisitions that come with that, it obviously will really potentially rock the farm system. And it also might not. It, it might be, you know, some guys on the, the back end of the top 20 or something along the lines of that. So a lot left. Uh, to be seen with how this does change the farm system. So before we get into the main segment and then, of course, the trade scenarios, episode 51, you know, I didn't forget, but not an eventful number in Mets history. One random Paul Seawald, who, if you haven't been paying attention, has really, really turned it around this year. It's actually very impressive what he's doing with those Seattle Mariners right now. He's quietly been uh, one of the the best relievers in baseball. Can you believe that? He in 27 games, 
uh, 2.0. That's right, 2.0 ERA. He's got three saves. And the one that just shocks me, Joe, he's striking out 15.7 batters over nine innings, blowing his previous high of 10.1 just out of the water. So that's that's one random. Another random, Rick White, a player the Mets acquired in that 2000 season, went on and pitched a lot of innings for them in 2000, 2001. And then one coach, Rick Peterson, who had a very interesting about a half decade tenure with the team for a lot of the great things Rick did. I know he's very notable for apparently having a heavy influence on the Scott Casimir, Victor Zambrano trade. So, Joe, I'm I'm not even going to bother. I don't think you have any surprise 51s, right? It's just not a Mets number. It's a coach's number. I do not have any surprise 51s, but imagine how much different the Mets fortunes would have been if Rick Peterson was able to fix Victor Zambrano in 15 minutes, as he claimed he was going to be able to do. That's Um, the quote. Yeah, that that the Casimir Victor Zambrano trade is the first trade that in my for my recollection where the Mets traded a prospect and I got upset because at that point, like I was in on following prospects, really understood kind of the idea of them. And that was the first time that they traded a guy that I was like, what the hell is going on here? That's or at least that's the first one I remember. Well, rightfully so. I mean, he was a first round pick of the Mets taken 15th overall in 2002. And I know the MLB draft back then wasn't what it is now in terms of eyes on it, but there was a lot of hype around him in the Mets system. And the big story was that Peterson, along with others, assumed he was three years away and Zambrano Zambrano could be a big piece for the Mets now. And when they traded him, he he came up as a 20-year-old uh, for Tampa Bay, and it did not take long. You know, within three years, he was an all-star kind of pitcher and a very interesting career, right? When you look at Casimir, he was an all-star in 06 and 08. And then, of course, I, I believe he had a lot of injuries, but also just a lot of ups and downs. And then somehow came back in 14 for an all-star season. So just a fascinating guy. One of the worst trades, I think, in Mets history, or definitely one of the most notably worst trades in Mets history. So for, like I said, Rick Peterson, I think, um, you know, overall he was around for some big time seasons, but that is, that is definitely one of the more notable stories about him. And don't forget Scott Casimir actually made a weird comeback this year. So he pitched for the giants. He got in three games for the giants this year out of the, you know, uh, two games started, it appears. So maybe like opener type things because he only threw seven innings, gave up five runs, but he struck out seven guys. So um, good for Scott. I mean, he had himself a a rock solid career. And like you said, one of the one of the bad trades that that the Mets have made for sure. The truly remarkable storyline out of baseball since 2016 comes back and, and does get on a big league mound in 2021 at 37 years old. So taking attention away from number 51 and moving forward to what's going on with the Mets right now. I think the big talking point, at least for me, when I was making the rundown today, Joe, is that the Mets bats are finally picking up the pitching. And I put in parentheses what pitching, because quite frankly, it's been non-existent even when and it's not the end of the world. There's one bad start. But even when Taiwan Walker is getting bounced in the first inning, you know things are just really strange right now. And of course, 
when you have to put Eikhoff back on the mound, you knew what that situation was going to be. Even worse, I think the Mets had four errors in that game, and they end up scoring 15 runs and winning the game and hitting seven home runs. But it's not just that game. It's the last game against the Pirates in Pittsburgh, uh, coming back from 6 nothing. Conforto, maybe the green light has come on. Pete's been very, very consistent. McNeil and Dom are kind of turning things around. Nimmo gets on base at just an absurd, absurd rate. And of course, James McCann, who now has a couple big time clutch hits for this Mets team this year. It's just it, there's really everyone's doing it at this point. Now, of course, it's not sustainable to score that kind of run output. But this is more what we thought this lineup, even without Lindor right now, what this lineup was capable of rather than the bizarre stretch of just no runs, one run, two run game after game after game. And it's it's really arrived at the right time. I'd say, honestly, this is kind of what we expected the Mets as a whole to be, not even just offensive, but including pitching. Like, I mean, go back to our shows in spring training. You're we right. thought the, the offense was going to be a top five offense in baseball, give or take. We thought the starting pitching after DeGrom was going to be okay. We didn't think Taiwan Walker was making an all-star team. We didn't think Marcus Stroman would put together the first half that he did. And we had questions on the back end of the bullpen, too. I mean, Edwin Diaz, obviously, I've backed him, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But, you know, outside of him and then Seth Lugo was injured, we didn't know what to expect from the bullpen. And, you know, the last few days, that bullpen's even had its ups and downs um, a little bit. So I think the Mets, you know, it's the law of averages are catching up to them, right? Like, this team was far too talented to not score runs. And I don't think the pitching is quite as good as it was going there for a little bit. So I think things are evening out. And to me, the the offense is ready to go for the second half. I was going to mention, you know, how Conforto, McNeil, Dom Smith, those guys are really looking like in their prime form. Uh, J.D. Davis, even a little shout out to him. He had the two home run game, his first game back. So he adds some right-handed thump. Uh, I think we for, we almost forget at times how useful J.D. Davis's bat can be in, in this lineup specifically. So to me, I think they're just, you know, law of averages are coming back. And I think that's why you see Zach Scott talking about how starting pitching is the priority at the trading deadline. So it's going to be interesting over the next 10 days how they can address that part of the team and what else they do. But to me, I'm excited to see guys like Conforto because, you know, on Twitter, people are basically like, this This guy shouldn't even get the qualifying offer in the offseason. And the way he was playing, that was true. But ultimately, I've I've always said this. On Normally, guys will perform to the back of their baseball card. Like, they'll get there one way or another. They'll either have a good be- beginning and a rough end or a rough middle. Like, when you look at the back of someone's baseball card, it's typically in the same range every single year, and it's just a matter of how they get there. So hopefully Conforto's now just going to have one of those absurd stretches, which we know he's capable of. Right, and this is a lineup full of streaky players for the most part. Obviously, Conforto is a has, you know, in the past, not last year in the short 60-game sprint, but in the past, he, he's been historically a pretty streaky guy. I think it's actually surprising how consistent Pete has been. Maybe not in the power department, although he, he does have 18 home runs, so it's nothing to laugh at there. But just in terms of Pete has been 
pretty consistent at the plate all year. And of course, Nimmo, I missed a lot of time, is just getting on base when he's not getting hits. He's getting walks. But of course, yeah, McNeil, Dom, you know, going back to it with Conforto, these are really streaky guys. I think VR is somebody that and JD are are two players that they get very streaky in the power department. There's times where those guys will hit three home runs in four games. So that and when you have that much power in the lineup, the offense should be performing better than it has. And now we're starting to see it. So that's been the really good. The really bad is and what I have to ask is, is this a blip for Edwin Diaz or is it time to be concerned? And I think for me, listen, the Grand Slam is the first home run he allowed this year. I do think they have really worked Diaz to the bone. It's it's wild how much work this guy's gotten this year. I don't like how they've thrown him in a lot of non-save situations when you I just would like to see him get more rest I know he likes to pitch I know he's vocal about pitching I think for Diaz this is a little concerning but I also don't think it's the situation where I'm seeing so many people on Twitter going you know they got to trade for a premium closer now if you trade for a closer to be a flex kind of guy right a Hey, we want Diaz to get the night off. This guy could save games. Hey, Diaz is having a rough go of it. We want him to save games for a little bit, but he's mostly going to be the eighth inning guy. That I get. This isn't replace Edwin Diaz time. And I know there's going to be people listening to this that are think I'm insane, or I know a lot of people in the Mets fan base hate Edwin Diaz. I think a big product of that is the trade as a whole rather than the player. And it goes back to what you and I always say, Joe. The typically fans always remember when the reliever gives up a run, but they don't remember, like, look at Trevor May. He had those 10 scoreless appearances in a row, and then he he had a, he had a rough one, and everybody's like, oh, my God, this guy. And it's like, well, nobody cares about the last 10. So I don't know. I'm trying to just absorb this as the body of work with Diaz. He's going to be okay. I hate, and before, I'm not saying this because he got a double. I hated pitching to Winker in that scenario. It made no sense to me. I couldn't believe they did. But at the end of the day, he has not been overall sharp and, and he's got to get it back. There's no doubt about that. I agree. I would have walked Winker. Uh, but as far as Diaz goes, I lean a little more blip, but there certainly is some some reason to be concerned. Uh, so his stuff is still there. I mean, he's still throwing 98 to 100. When he gets on top of his slider, it's very effective. So he's not down on stuff in any way. His effectiveness is absolutely down. I mean, he doesn't really know where the ball's going right now, which we know with with the way Diaz pitches, it's very easy to fall out of his mechanics. He doesn't have you know a very prototypical delivery. It's kind of like that up down up down thing. So it's it's a difficult delivery to repeat and sometimes that causes him to fly open early which is what i noticed in yesterday's game um that would be monday's game uh for whenever you're listening but on monday's game i noticed him flying open early and when you when he does that that's when you see the ball tail off to the arm side so that's tailing off to the right and if you see diaz missing right a lot which is what you saw uh, on monday that is kind of a, a sign of he's flying open too early and then he's kind of on the left side of the ball. It's just always going to push that way to the arm side. So that's part of it. Um, I'm seeing it all over Twitter. Uh, so it would be wrong to ignore it. Uh, I, 
obviously don't know if he was using any substances of any kind, and I certainly wouldn't want to be accusing that. But since the stop on the use of said substances, his uh, fastball spin rate has dramatically dropped. Um, granted, that's something that has dropped across baseball, I think, for everybody. Because I do think most pitchers used something. Um, I don't think, you know, he was using spider tech or anything like that. Um, but I don't know. It, it's it's definitely a, something worth questioning. And there's enough talk about it and there's data on it where I think it's worth mentioning. Um, obviously, like I said, not in an accusatory way. I don't want to sit here and say his spin rate dropped, thus he used sticky stuff. Um, but obviously it's something to consider. Uh, just it's a, it's a tough go of it for him. I mean, before the three, I mean, and he's never blown three saves in a row, which he obviously did now, but right before he blew the three saves in a row, he almost had an immaculate inning and that was post sticky stuff, whatever. So to me, I think it's more of a blip than a concern, but of course, I mean, you don't want your closer, especially when you're a first place team blowing three games in a row and um, obviously being all over the place with his delivery and with his stuff. And the fans already are not confident in him as it is. So he's uh, making it easier on them to, to feel that way. So, you know, that's kind of a real elongated way of saying, I feel like it's a little more of a blip, but if you have some level of concern and I'm talking to the reasonable fans, not the crazy people um, that are like Diaz sucks, he's got to go, blah, blah, blah. But obviously, there is some level of concern. Like I said, it's it, it to me, it feels more mechanical than anything else, but have to at least acknowledge the drop in spin rate. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I do. And I think that, you know, no one's going to get up here and lie. It's There's got to be some kind of concerning part of this. Of course there is. But there is also the, you know, scale it back and, and try to, look at things from a a big picture perspective. What I will say is even before all of this, you know, this stretch of Diaz melting down a little bit, I think a lot of people would tell you the Mets need to add a bullpen arm because that's what contenders do at the trade deadline. The question is, what is the caliber of that arm? And I think I look at it, you know, a guy like Richard Rodriguez, who the Mets are very Mets fans are very familiar with now after the seven game series against the Pirates, and he closed out a lot of games in those series. He also blew one with Michael Conforto hitting a home run. He's probably going to cost a lot at the deadline. He is under team control for the next couple years, and he's been very good this year. Two six five ERA, thirteen saves. That he doesn't get a lot of chances, and he converts most of them. Honestly, he only he's only given up two home runs this year and over 37 innings. But what catches my eye, Joe, and this is just I'm not saying go get Richard Rodriguez, because like I said, I think he's going to cost a lot. He's under team control. He's really good. But something like him, he has only walked four people in over 37 innings. He just doesn't walk people. And I think for the Mets for how great Diaz was in the first half, for how great at times Miguel Castro has been, it feels like they need, and a lot of these don't exist. I know I'm kind of wishing here. They need they need somebody on the more control end as a reliever. I'm not saying this immaculate player. It just feels like, and I don't know, maybe that's using loop and 
in more high leverage situations. And I know they've used him in a lot of those more just on the sixth and seventh inning end. Maybe Loop gets looks in the eighth and ninth more often. I Or maybe you go out and acquire an arm. But it just feels like there's times where Diaz doesn't have it. And he's so interesting to me because for as great as he's been this year, he is the reason I think part of the reason a lot of Mets fans do not like Edwin Diaz. And I do understand this side of it is when he comes in and there's a three run lead, if he doesn't have it, there's just no real dialing it back. It just doesn't. It's a full blown meltdown of like, I'm going to give up as many runs as batters I can face. And I'm not there hasn't been a lot of those nights this year. For the most part, he's been really good. But it just feels like there's got to be some kind of insurance for him now for when he comes in and you can tell it's just he's hitting guys or it, by the way, it just it also blows my mind how some guys they were the broadcast was really going after it on Monday night. Some guys come in and just help him out and just start swinging. I don't know why anybody doesn't take a few pitches against Diaz. It just feels like the Mets, they, they need another arm in that pen uh, that can maybe be a calming presence. So I don't want to trade for Richard Rodriguez. I don't want to trade for Craig Kimbrell. Like, I agree I on Kimbrell big yeah, time. I mean, Kimbrell's been absolutely possibly the best reliever in baseball this year. He's been he, he certifiably looks back, but I'm not looking to trade for a closer like right now. And especially a guy like Rodriguez, I know. Uh, we'll talk about him in a minute, but guys with control, those relievers cost prospects, like good prospects. And I think you need to learn your lesson from the Diaz trade. Don't be trading really good prospects for relievers, period. I don't care really who it is, to be honest. I'm yeah, looking, I agree. I'm looking for, I. they absolutely should add somebody. To me, the backup plan to Diaz is Seth Lugo or Trevor May. Like, I don't need to acquire someone from the outside that is that alternative if Edwin Diaz doesn't have it on a given night. But a guy that kind of stands out to me is Andrew Chafin from the Cubs. Uh, I think they could use another lefty. Uh, he's been very, very good this year for the Cubs. He has, you know, a 1.38 ERA. Um, to your point about walks, he's only walking two guys per nine innings, so controls him pretty good. Uh, he's not a big-time strikeout guy, but he's just, you know, an induced weak contact. Good lefty. I think they could use that second lefty behind the loop because it doesn't really exist, obviously, in the bullpen, unless you love Anthony Bonda, which I don't know if you do. <laughs> um, so to oh, me, it, to me, and <laughs> Andrew Chafin is a guy that kind of just jumps off the page as someone who makes sense. And I assume the Cubs will move as he's a rental. But that's what I want to see added to the bullpen. It's just rentals. Get a rental guy or two if. If it makes sense to add a couple bullpen arms, it obviously would never hurt. But, you know, like you said at the beginning, every contender should be adding bullpen help. That's just no matter who's in your bullpen, you can always use more. Well, we're already starting to do it. So let's just get into these trade scenarios. You know, usually we do mailbag. This is very similar. We just had everyone send Mets trade deadline deals. And Joe and I will talk about how feasible some of these are or if we like them or if we don't like them or however we may feel and, and everyone did a pretty awesome job I was basically able to find an example of every single one that I wanted to so let's start from Clyde he says Ronnie Mauricio JT Ginn 
and Cortez. That's Carlos Cortez, right? Yep. Okay, so Carlos Cortez, who has had a pretty nice season, by the way, for those of you that have not kept up with him. We talk about him on the show every now and then. So he says Mauricio, Ginn, and Cortez for Kimbrel and Bryant. Joe, I'll let I'll let you kick this off since you just brought up Kimbrel. Uh, feasibility of this trade and, and how you feel about it. Uh, I would say feasibility low, interest even lower. Um, <laughs> wow. Kim, Kim, uh, Kimbrel and Bryant, I think uh, obviously adding them to the team sounds great, but Chris Bryant is an expensive rental, and I think all you need to do is look back at what expensive rentals net in return and you don't see a prospect like Ronnie Mauricio at the head of any of those deals. Um, JT Ginn is another high upside guy that the Mets actually just promoted to Brooklyn. And to me, that's a high price to take on an expensive rental and then a $16 million reliever on on top of it. So to me, I'm out on this deal. Um, I'm sure there'll be Mets fans that call me crazy, but to me, shark tank, I like this. Yeah. To me, to me, I'm kind. Of, I'm out on this one. To me, Ronnie Mauricio. I I do think ultimately there's a good chance that Ronnie Mauricio's big league career will be outside of New York. But I think what's important, and you know, we'll touch on this on other trades too, is what the Mets are doing right now. This is year one of a whole new system in place with Steve Cohen, an owner who is not afraid to spend money. We'll spend money without, you know. Uh, with everyone he'll spend with the big dogs in baseball he obviously didn't do it year one which makes sense they're assessing things he did what he had to do and gave out 341 million dollars uh while he was doing it but i don't think like to me this is a push all of your chips into the center of the table and go all in kind of move i don't know if i think that's the approach that the Mets should take in year one i think you should lean on the financial side of things and kind of build up this prospect depth behind them and have it ready for, you know, serious moves that will give you sustain a sustained success. You know, as we mentioned last week, you know, Chris Bryant's a guy that sure in theory, they can extend him. And then you have Kimbrell, whatever under control for next year with an option. But to me, I'm not pushing all my chips in the table in year one. I'm letting this play out and uh, trying to create that sustainable winner. And that the answer to doing that is not just trading your top, top guys. Um, obvi- obviously, if a, if a Chris Bryant trade can come across where I don't have to part with Ronnie Mauricio, like if you're telling me JT Ginn and Carlos Cortez, like that's probably even like slightly rich for my blood, but it's it's close enough that if they did it, I wouldn't lose my mind. Um, but having Mauricio in there would be, to me, paying a premium for an expensive reliever and an expensive uh, rental. So I agree with you that I, this isn't the trade I would do personally. And I, the reasons being, like you said, as great as Chris Bryan has been, he's a rental. So that's a that's just a huge and he's a rental that realistically, I don't think the Mets, if they acquire him and a lot of people think there's a good chance they do he's going to be around long term. It's not one of those like when they got Lindor, we we felt pretty good that that was a hey, we're getting this guy to keep him around here for a long time. Chris Bryant to me screams true rental. And you and I have said for a long time we think this deadline should be used as a, you know, year and a half window, right? It's the stretch run this year. 
And then can you be a piece here for 22? And that's going to buy some time for, because the Mets, while they have a better farm system than a lot of people realized, it's young. It's not the farm system that, hey, help is on the way next year. You're looking at the help really in 2023. So if you can get this, some of these guys that are bridge guys to that, that would be nice. Now, Kimbrell does get credit for being, hey, you got him for 2022, but you don't get the same kind of credit because he's making a lot of money. I think it's a $16 million team option next year. And yeah, money might not matter that much to this team when they blow through the luxury tax, but it just goes back to the point of as great as he is, there's also the side of it of, hey, he's not like an arbitration guy. He's a legit money guy. So for for Clyde, I think he put together a, a really feasible or reasonable situation. He didn't sit here and go, hey, Carlos Cortez for Kimbrell and Bryant. Like, Ronnie's a huge piece. And JT Ginn, he's a pretty big piece. And I think he's even bigger for the Mets because he's a rare, highly touted arm in the system in a system that just does not have a lot of them, right? We would have been on Matt Allen watch all year. Well, he's going to be out for a long time with Tommy John. Sure, they got Kumar Rocker. I mean, a true miracle. But it's really Ginn is the guy right now. So, yeah, not my favorite move, but I think it's realistic enough. Uh, but it's not one I think the Mets personally are going to do. So, so I, so I think oh, we're, playing, ahead, we're, we're playing good good cop, bad cop here. You'd say, Joe, what do you think? I'm like, feasibility, nah, interest even less. And you're like, well, it's feasible, not what I would do. So we, yeah. we have good, good cop, bad right. cop going on. <laughs> you're right. Well, you know why I'm 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 giving, I'm siding with Clyde here because I had a little PTSD of when I, I forget who you brought up. I think it was Barrios on Twitter. And I said, I said Vientos and someone else. I might have said Mauricio and Vientos. Yeah, I think you said Mauricio and Vientos. And people, and I, just for Barrios, not taking on Donaldson's money. And some people just slaughtered me. And I'm like, listen, and this is before Vientos hit like 95 home runs in a row. So I think <laughs> I think that recency bias plays into a lot of people's minds with Vientos. So yeah, I try to be like, wow, good for you for not being a, a cheapo in these propositions. That's so you fair. get you get some credit for that, Clyde, as much as we do not like the, the trade. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. 
And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter. And now you can see what's happening around your home right from your couch. Just pull up your home life cameras on your TV with your Contour voice remote and some simple voice commands. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're outside? Say, show me my backyard camera. And to see who's at the door, just say, show me my front porch camera. To learn more, visit cox.com slash thisishome. From Alec, Pirates Trade. Now, what I did here, I didn't like, like I said, we're not doing 95 Chris Bryant scenarios on the show. And we still have another episode next week for the trade deadline. We'll do YouTube content around the trade deadline. There'll be plenty of Chris Bryant talk for everyone there. This is from Alec. Pirates send Brubaker, who the Mets have seen plenty of this year, starting pitcher, Richard Rodriguez, who I brought up earlier, an old friend, Jason Shreve, who I never understood why the Mets just let him go for nothing that this year. And in return, the Mets send Mauricio. Oh, Joe, you're not going to like this. Uh, Junior Santos, comma, low-level prospects. So I give Alec a tip of the cap there for just saying I'm not I'm not looking for prospects 32 on the list. Just write them in there as low level. All right. I I, <laughs> I just want your take on Mauricio being in this deal. It just goes to my point uh, from earlier where I you don't give I don't want to give up top prospects for relievers. I don't really care how good they are. I don't care how much control they're under. I'm not I'm not doing this one either. <laughs> um to me, so just to break it down rather than just saying I'm not doing it, uh, Brubaker to me is like a number five type of starter. So he's he's to me not making really any difference. He's just he's Lucchese, dude. Yeah, he's just being right handed uh, Lucchese. Yeah, he's being an able bodied number five star, which the Mets don't have. So in that sense, it helps. But I would hope they would be seeking a little higher quality than Brubaker. Um, Rodriguez obviously has been very good this year and. He's he probably is going to get traded somewhere and someone's going to pay that price. But if I ran a team, um, Ronnie Mauricio is not on the table for Richard Rodriguez. And then Chase and Shreve, it's whatever. I mean, it'd be it'd be pretty funny if they ended up trading something to bring back Chase and Shreve, who they just non tendered because he was going to make a million bucks. <laughs> um, so they it would be interesting to see them actually trade anything for him. But for me. This one is, is tough because of Mauricio's inclusion. And I just don't know if you're getting kind of the, the impact that you want out of the trade deadline. Uh, to Alec, you know, to Alex's credit, he's hitting the positions of need. He's getting you a potentially impactful reliever, which I can't deny Rodriguez could be. A second lefty, which I just mentioned a few minutes ago as something to pursue, and a starting pitcher. So he is going after positions of need. I just think he's giving too much back to do it. I'm with you. And I think that you nailed it. Alec always sends us really good questions and thoughts and and he's right on it here where 
its three arms in three different roles that are huge needs right now for the most part for the Mets. I just if I look at it like this, the Mauricio Mauricio is a chip, right? Like you said it. There's a good chance Ronnie Mauricio does not play his pro ball for the New York Mets. When you look at but he's a big time prospect for the New York Mets. He's kind of this chip right now where I'm willing to throw it out there, but I got to really be fired up about what I'm getting back that I'm going to be selective of how I use it. So this one is is not going to do it for me. Uh, Brubaker, like you said, number five, gives up a ton of home runs. Rodriguez, I love, but I, I just I would like to not give up the premium prospect for the for considering the big piece of this deal is the closer. All right, the next one is from Jeff. This is going to be a very interesting one. Maybe the most interesting one that we go through today. Jeff says the Twins get J.D. Davis and J.T. Ginn. The Mets get Jose Barrios and Josh Donaldson. So before I go to Joe, a lot of people are going to probably think, wow, the Mets are getting Barrios and Donaldson for that return. Keep in mind, Donaldson being in this trade is a favor from the Mets. It actually, in a way, might reduce the return because of his age, decline, and how much money he's owed the next couple of years. So that is the thought here. All right, Joe, take it away. So I actually think it's it's still a little light from the Mets side, I would say, but this of the of the first three so far, this is the closest to realistic in my eyes. Um, taking on Donaldson, like you said, is a huge favor because of all the money he's making. He's thirty five. Um, he's gonna be making that money for a little bit. So you're this is the type of move where it's just like we want Barrios and we'll take on Donaldson's money and just hopefully get something out of him. Maybe he'll DH after this year and that just lessens the prospect hall. Uh, a guy like J.D. Davis makes sense to go back. I'm sure the Twins uh, wouldn't mind getting a controllable guy to play third base to take over there. Um, J.T. Ginn definitely feels like a Twins type of prospect. They're very much into the sinker slider kind of guys uh, for the most part. If you look up and down their staff historically over the last few years, Barrios is a little bit of an exception. But generally speaking, you see a lot of sinker slider guys, which is basically J.T. Ginn. Um, I would imagine even with Donaldson attached, they may need to throw in like one more guy that's, you know, top 10. I still think because supposedly for Barrios, the twins, and this is just Barrios, the twins are seeking a pre-arbitration, you know, regular player, whether it be a pitcher or a, or a hitter, someone that can be, you know, in their rotation or in their lineup, plus two top 100 prospects. That's the ask supposedly right now for Burrios and that's without Donaldson attached. So you, you think they get it? No, I don't. I don't either. Uh, I, I don't, I don't way I, too high. I just don't think, I don't think Burrios is getting traded this month. Um, I could be wrong. I don't think he gets moved, but if you take that standard of what they want for Burrios alone and you say, we're going to take Donaldson Donaldson's money. All right. You're not going to necessarily get that pre arbitration regular, but we'll give you, an early arbitration regular in Davis, two top 100 guys, we could give you one and then one who's maybe kind of close in Ginn. So I think you'd have to go a prospect a little better than JT Ginn on the list. And uh, that looks actually like a pretty solid deal for both sides, I'd say. 
Yeah, I agree. Number one, I, I would do this trade. Obviously, it's pretty favorable, I think, for the Mets. I am not in love with taking on Donaldson's money, though. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people bring up this idea. A lot of people excited about this idea. I don't know if I just want old, crappy contracts on the Mets for a couple of years. Like, let's not forget Robinson Cano's money is back on the books next year. I don't know. And I think Donaldson would help this year. I'm not naive to that. I think he's a power bat, gets on base at a good clip. Uh, He's been a pretty good glove at third. I don't know. I I would do this trade. I would. But I'm just saying I I do look at it. I mean, I would easily do this trade. It's a steal getting Barrios for those two guys. But I I definitely am being a little hesitant on the, the Donaldson money is not something that particularly excites me. But I think this is this is my favorite trade of the three. I would definitely green light this one, but I do agree with you, Joe. I I don't think it gets it done. I I don't. And I and I agree with you that the twins kind of feel like they're just kind of throwing Barrios's name everywhere to see what the reaction is, not really wanting to trade him, but going, wow, there are no good starting arms like this guy on the market right now. Can we get someone to do something crazy and stupid? So. We'll keep a close eye on that one. He he might not be going anywhere. The next one from John Z. And there, there's been some Rockies talk picking up around the Mets trade deadline. All right, so he says Marquez and Story. So you get a starting pitcher and a big-time infielder. Story obviously would, would play short while Lindor's out, probably kick the third when he comes back for Ronnie Mauricio and Carlos Cortez. So right out of the gate, I'll say... I know Story's a rental. I think this is low. I think this is low. But man, I'm looking at Marquez right now. So he's under contract. I forgot they extended him. So you got him for a couple years at a pretty good number. He signed a five-year, $43 million deal. There's a team option in 2024, which gives you flexibility. Uh, He's been very good these last two years. Uh, This is a deal that I do a million times. I think the return's too light. What do you think, Joe? So the Rockies have come out and said straight up they're not trading Herman Marquez. So he's staying put. But for the sake of this discussion, um, I think this is a little light from the Mets side. Uh, I think the Mauricio Marquez thing is kind of the world I'm talking when I talk about trading Mauricio because, you know, obviously the first two trades he was involved in, I just poo-pooed trading him. Like this is the type of trade that I'm looking for to move a guy like Mauricio. It's a Marquez. It's a Barrios. It's someone like that, someone with more control than this year and obviously upside the pitch near the top of a rotation, which obviously Marquez can do. And then you add Trevor Story, who can play shortstop while Lindor's healing from his oblique. And then you could just shift him over to third base, even though he hasn't really played it. Um, I feel like he's more than athletic enough, and he has the arm. So I think he would fit perfectly fine at third base in the stretch run. And then he's, of course, a rental, so he's a guy that hit the return for him wouldn't be so great just because he is a rental. Uh, but this one does feel a little light to me. I think if you can add one more guy between Mauricio and Cortez. So I don't know, like an Alex Ramirez and then, you know, maybe a lottery ticket. It would have to be like a four for two type of thing. 
Um, maybe that would get it done if you go, you know, like Mauricio, Alex Ramirez, Cortez, and then someone a little below Cortez that's got some upside. Uh, maybe that maybe that would work. But it sounds as if the Rockies are hanging tight on Marquez. We know they have to move story, though, it feels like. And I, I would, it seems I, yeah, like I would he, expect that he wants to go. He's not had a good year. Let's just call it like it is. He's hit 242 on bases. You know, he looked OPS 743. He's a great player. Uh, he'd be a huge acquisition. I am truly, truly fascinated by where he goes and what he brings back for a superstar player that's not had a good year. That is a true rental, probably. I I wonder what he gets and. I'd be lying if I said I don't think he's a good... I would love him on the Mets for the second half of the year, but I also agree with you that you got to be thinking, hey, can we get someone that's that's part of the long-term picture? So, And I've seen a lot of Trevor Story talk on, on Twitter with the Mets. I don't know if it's people just connecting dots or if that is a route that they would look into. I think it's probably more connecting dots, but I think it would be very wise for Zach Scott and Sandy Allerson to look into the acquisition of Trevor Story. Let's put it that way. I think it would make a lot of sense. Do you think he's someone that would, I guess there's no way of knowing this. I just wonder if it's one of those situations where you're like, we actually can pay this guy at the end of the year, or it's not going to be a Lindor contract, but I don't know if he'd want to play third long-term. I He'd probably be a true rental. Trevor's story would be 100% a rental. He'd be a, we're going for it this year, and good luck where wherever you go next. Where you go next. Yeah, let's try to win a World Series. All right, the next one, uh, we're going to be, this is going to be the bargain shopping of the segment, and I think we were due to kind of reel ourselves back in and take a breather. So thank you, Ryan, who sent this. He says, the Mets acquired John Gray. The Rockies acquired Joshua Cornelli and Marcel Renteria. Joe, this is your this is your uh, your lane right here. All right. So first off, put some respect on John Gray's name. I he is with he is for me without a doubt my preferred starting pitcher trade acquisition this this deadline. Um, obviously, I'd rather have Barrio, so don't spin it. But when you're talking like quality with return that it'll take to get him. John Gray, to me, is the best bang for your buck that you can get on this market. Um, he's got premium stuff. Uh, he's pitched well in Colorado. He hit, Actually, oddly, his splits this year are reversed. Like, he's pitching better in Colorado than on the road, which is kind of interesting and probably not overly common. But this is, you know, a former top five pick in the MLB draft. He's up to 97. He's got a potential wipeout slider. Like, to me, this is the guy to go get. Um, He's this a rental. Pa- that's fine. A rental. Perfect. That's exactly what I want. Um, if I can't get Barrios or Marquez or someone like that, I'm looking for a rental. And to me, this is the best combination of, you know, what you have to give and bringing upside with it. Because, I mean, if you trade for Tyler Anderson, you trade for Zach Davies, someone like that, like there's no chance they're going to make a big difference in the rest of your season. I'm just going to say it and I'm saying it as nicely as I could. They're not going to make a big difference. John Gray is the kind of guy that could come in, have a chance to actually be impactful in the rotation during a time of need. And if everything's wonderful, come playoff time, 
you could put that arm in the bullpen and have him pitch a couple innings out of the pen in the playoffs. To me, John Gray is the move um, if I'm going to get a starting pitcher. I don't think this is particularly enough to get him, despite being a rental. I mean, those are, you know, Joshua Cornelli hasn't pitched yet this year. He's been banged up. Marcel Renteria is a middle relief prospect that hasn't really performed well in the upper minors. To me, this is them just basically giving away John Gray. Uh, I think you'd have to give one prospect between 11 and 20 and one prospect probably between 20 and 30. Or maybe you know something like that is kind of where my my head's at. Like a guy like a Jalen Palmer could potentially be you know one of the headliner pieces here. But John Gray is the one. If Joe's in charge, John Gray is the one that he's going after. Keep in mind, we've been doing this segment for I think twenty five minutes, and we have had names like Craig Kimbrell, Chris Bryant, Richard Rodriguez, Jose Barrios, Trevor Story. And Joe easily got the most fired up over John Gray with the return of two prospects that are on no one's radar in the top 15 of the Mets system right now. I, I truly appreciate you, Joe. <laughs> Bring me John Gray, man. I mean, he's got I, three, I do like this. Man. Yeah, he's got, a three, he's got a 3 he's got a three six eight ERA. He's only allowed 76 hits in 93 innings this year. He's striking out almost a guy per inning like. To me, this is a guy that comes in and you're not surprised when he's really, really good down the stretch. And he's going into his walk year at age 29. So, you know, he could be a guy you extend. I mean, you have Stroman, you have Syndergaard, you have those guys with some, you know, question marks. Obviously, you can't you can't do a qualifying offer to Stroman. You're not allowed to do it twice in a row. So he's seeing free agency basically regardless. Syndergaard, you don't know what you're going to do. Maybe John Gray is kind of like a guy you bring in, see how he handles New York. And if it seems like it's a fit, he could be kind of a fallback to one of those guys where it's just like, all right, couldn't we don't want to pay all that money for Marcus Stroman. We could get John Gray at a lesser price. And maybe that maybe that could be the move where he's a rental that could potentially turn into a multi-year asset. Yeah. I mean, listen, it. It's one that just, if you don't want to pay the premium, but you want a guy that you know is going to be on the mound and is having a solid year, it makes a lot of sense. And I think my gut feeling on the whole thing is this is the direction the Mets are going to go rather than going and getting some big time arm. This is probably more likely it. I think, and this is usually what the market consists of. Like you said earlier, Marquez isn't even available we're not fully buying that the twins are just putting, you know, they have to move Barrios. It's more of a, hey, if somebody does something crazy. So I think Ryan is, he's on to something here and and I'm in on this deal for that return easily in on this deal. Last one. And like I said, if you want more of these next week, official trade deadline episode, um, I think we'll save the post trade deadline reaction for YouTube. I think that's the best way to kind of line it up. So if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely go subscribe to the That's So Mets Pod YouTube. All right. Oh, and, was, and speaking oh, of ahead. the U- yeah, speaking of the YouTube, uh, if the Mets make a trade, like if I don't know tomorrow a trade happens, that like we've given you that's emerg- where we'll react. We've been giving you emergency pods in the past, but now that's what the YouTube channel is going to be for. So if the Mets trade Joshua Cornelli and Marcel Renteria for John Gray tomorrow. 
Connor and I are hopping on YouTube. And the best part is we'll hop on kind of wherever we are. You might get me in my car. You never know. I mean, we could be we could be wherever we are, but we're going to hop on the YouTube. It's the YouTube. What an old man. Um, we're going to hop on YouTube and break down any trade the Mets make. Basically, as soon as we have all the details from it, we'll be doing that. And that's where uh, we're going to be doing kind of our instant reaction type of things going forward. So like Connor said, look up That's So Mets on YouTube, subscribe, and that's where you're going to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it just it makes sense. It's the, the quickest way for us to get uh, the content to everyone. I think doing those breakdowns, doing those reactions is a lot of fun on draft night. All right. The last trade deadline scenario we're going through today is from Steve Cohen season. This is a fun one just because this is a player that I would love to watch in a Mets uniform. All right. So Steve Cohen season says receive Javi Baez and Craig Kimbrell. Send Mark Vientos and Jalen Palmer. All right. Before I go to you, Joe, I I know he's a wild card of a player. It's a ton of home runs. Uh, the average hasn't really been there the last two years. I think Javi Baez on the Mets, a guy who can play all over the infield, a guy that is going to get paid probably a ton of money after this year. So you're looking at a rental situation. I'm... Also, not really believing that the Cubs are going to trade him. I think he's the guy that has a shot to get paid to be there long term out of him and Chris Bryant. And we'll see. You know, I know that the Rizzo situation, the Cubs are just such a weird team right now going forward. I would do this trade. And that's with even saying I'm not really out here like banging the table to trade for Craig Kimbrell. Like that's I would just do this trade because. This is not really going to sit well with a lot of people. I would consider trading Vientos right now while the iron's hot for the right move. And this gets you an elite reliever and a hell of a player from the infield with pop. And I have and I know he's a rental, but this is kind of the right direction rather than the Mauricio situation here. I actually like this trade. I think this is a good combination of giving up something, but not too much, but also, you know, getting back a return that's worthwhile. I mean, obviously, you know, we've talked about Kimbrell. Weirdly, we've talked about Craig Kimbrell almost too much on this podcast, but uh, we talked about Craig Kimbrell, not the person. I I just just, everything about his mound presence drives me insane. I don't know how he's comfortable, but whatever whatever floats his boat. That little arm thing, I don't know how you do that every time and feel comfortable. But uh, I guess do you, Craig. You're, you're making $16 million a year, and I'm just here talking about it. Um, but, you know, Vientos, Kimbrel, like that seems pretty, you know, reasonable. I think you might have to throw in a little more here, of course, um, getting Baez and Kimbrel. But this is a fun one. I mean, you could play Baez at short. He's played everywhere. Like you said, you could play him at third, second. There's some versatility there. And the one thing I will say is I do not know if there's enough room in that clubhouse for the amount of swag that both Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez would bring to the table on a day-to-day basis. Like Javi, by all accounts, seems like an awesome teammate, awesome guy. So I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm saying that as a positive. Like, Swag would be dripping in that clubhouse with Lindor and Baez, and imagine them in the black jerseys. Oh boy, oh, dude! Yeah, he like, would. He'd fit in. 
Yeah. So he'd, well. He'd fit in great. And, you know, obviously a pure rental, the Mets wouldn't be paying Javier Baez $200 plus million. Um, Kimbrell would have a significant role next year at $16 million. And, you know, you'd be able to keep the bulk of your top, top prospects. To me, this one is is good in my book. You might have to go a little a little more from the Mets side, but this feels, you know, a little closer than maybe some others. I think acquiring Javi Baez would by far make me the most excited out of all these big names we've gone through. That's including Story, that's including Chris Bryant. Um I just I I think that would be really something to watch with his power and speed and the way he plays. Would re- it would just make for a thrilling second half of the season in Queens. Like I said, I-, I feel like he's the guy that the Cubs probably pay, but who knows? Who really knows? And, you know, they got to get... If they're not going to pay these guys, they got to get something back for them. Now, before we close the show, I-, I will say I'm a little surprised the amount of Craig Kimbrell talk for the Mets directly. Uh, do you think that that is something that the Mets would look into. And also really just with Kimbrell, I, I know teams that are out of it and sell always trade their closers. That's just how baseball works. And it makes a lot of sense. You're not in games anymore. you're not in contention anymore. You move on from your closer, you get something in return, but he's under control. So do you think they would really move Kimbrell and kind of, you know, raise their hands and say, Hey, we're, we're going to be kind of turning this thing over for the next year or two. I actually think Craig Kimbrell and Mark Feinstein wrote about this as well on MLB. Craig Kimbrell might be the most likely player on the Cubs to be wow. traded. Um, the money I, too. They probably the, want to get it off the books, right? The, mon- the money makes sense. Uh, they don't want to rebuild is what they say. Um, but frankly, if I were them, I would trade every rental. If I, I agree. Were, if, if I was losing, if I want Javier Baez back in the offseason – I can go, go sign him. him anyway. Go pay him anyway. What's the matter? So I would trade every single rental. Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, Chafin, Zach David, you name it. Like anyone Kyle that Hendricks I Hendricks a rental too? No, he he has a couple of years of control. Um but Kimbrel is a guy that like the Cubs while they don't want to rebuild, I don't think this is a next year the Cubs are back. So if that's the case what are you paying Craig Kimball $16 million next year for? Like you sometimes there is a time as an organization, you have to look in the mirror and be like, what are we paying this guy for? If like, are we serious contenders? That's the only time it's acceptable. And even then it's debatable, acceptable to play pay a closer. This type of money is if you're a bona fide contender. And I think if the Cubs are honest with themselves, they're not ready to do that yet. So, Trade Kimbrell now, a team can get a year and a half of control out of them, an acquiring team, and you get out of that money and you kind of take that step forward. And now that $16 million can go towards re-signing Javier Baez or Rizzo or whoever, you know, whoever from your rentals that you want to keep. So uh, to me, I think I think Kimbrell's a goner. Um, I don't know if the Mets are a team that's that are really banging down the door for him, but I think Kimbrell's out the door. Yeah, that's that's good to know. And it does make sense if they're looking at it in that window uh, from a few angles of getting something back, clearing the money and knowing that, quite frankly, the kind of year he's having teams are going to want him. Uh, he's just like you said, he might have he might be the best reliever in baseball at this very moment. So there's a lot of scenarios at play here, and we all think the Mets are going to do something. And we think the Mets are going to do something pretty significant in terms of the trade deadline and 
that hasn't really been in the Mets picture for a while. I mean, I remember the Cespedes deal was always something that, you know, we think of and it, it was crazy and it arguably changed the Mets entire season. So the trade deadline's exciting. I think it's going to be exciting for the Mets. Next week, we're going to have a ton to go through. And right after it, we're going to have a lot to react to. Joe, closing thoughts for uh, episode 51, the Rick Peterson and Paul Seawald episode. This was a fun one. I, I had a lot of fun going through the trades, talking about what prospects kind of are. Does Those it impress guys- you how many people like are like know this level of prospects, at least know yeah. the names where it's the awesome. trades are close? It's absolutely awesome. I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I've said this probably a couple of times here. It's like I've done this a long time and there there was years that I was talking about prospects and then the draft to a wall basically like nobody really cared and now everyone's super invested and some credit goes to mlb for that with like the heightening of the futures game you know making the draft a bigger deal and and things like that but yeah no we have awesome listeners to that so mets and you know clearly they follow smart people like me and you where we're talking about the prospects so uh it's it's definitely awesome to see where I don't I don't feel like I have to explain to everyone who all these guys are. You know, what I mean, like, I'll get, obviously I'll say something because there are some listeners that maybe are not following. But for the most part, I feel like if I say a prospect's name, a lot of people know who I'm talking about and know a little about them, at least. So uh, it's definitely awesome to see. You love to see it. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.